Chapter nineteen of the False Faces. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by April Gonzalez. The False Faces by Louise Joseph Vance. Chapter nineteen. Force Major. This visit to his rooms was the briefest of the several Lanyard made that night consideration of the mortal urgency dictating its drastic abbreviation. If the events of the last few hours had meant anything, whatever they had demonstrated to fruits which shone like beacon lights, that Manhattan Island was overpopulated as long as both he and Ekstrom remained on it. That Ekstrom had been goaded to the verge of aberration by discovery that Lanyard had come safely through the Assyrian debacle to take up a new self-appointed office of the nemesis, to the Prussian spy system in general, and to the genius of its American bureau in particular. Henceforward that one would know no more rest than Lanyard lived. Thus that little street-level apartment forfeited whatever attraction it originally had possessed in the adventurer's estimation. Not only was the address known to extreme associates, and so open to him, but its peculiar characteristics, its facilities for access from the street direct, rendered it a highly practicable debt-trap for a hunted man. Lanyard was well persuaded he need only wait there long enough to receive a deputation from 79th Street, and with any assurance that Ekstrom would come alone, he might have been content to wait. Not only had he through too intimate acquaintance with these methods, every assurance that Ekstrom would never brave alone what he could induce another to raise with him. But Lanyard was never one willing to play the passive part. A banal action of all warfare applied. The advantage is with him who fights upon the offensive. Since midnight the offensive had shifted from Lanya's grasp to the enemy's. He was determined to recapture it, and that was something never to be accomplished by sitting still and waiting for events to unfold, but only by carrying the war into the enemy's camp. He delayed, then, only long enough to change his clothing and to conceal about him certain properties which it seemed unwise to expose to chance discover on the part of Ekstrom or in the ever-possible event of police intervention. Within five minutes from the time of his return, he was closing behind him the private door. Wearing a quiet lounge suit but no topcoat, with a heart not so soft as to like character but soft enough to stick upon one's head in time of action, and carrying a stick neither brutishly stout nor ineffectively slender, he strolled up to Seventh Avenue, turned north, entered Central Park, and strolled no more. Kindly shadows enfolded him, engulfed him altogether. One minute after he had passed through the gateway, he would have defied a native apprehension by the most zealous officer of the peace. He went swiftly and secretly, avoiding all lighted ways. Not till did conscience to him remind him of his slighted promise to call up Cecilia Brooke. No time for that. The errand that engaged him was of a nature to brook no more procrastination. The girl must wait. He was sorry if... As she had protested, solicitude of his welfare must interfere with the night's rest. But what must be, must, until he saw the end of his adventure, he could be influenced by no minor consideration whatsoever. Not that he seriously believed Cecilia's sleep would be uneasy because of him. That was too much. His temper was grim and sceptical. The resentment roused by the trap that had so nearly laid him by the heels, together with a subsequent effort to assassinate him out of hand, had settled into a phase of smouldering fury, 
whose heat consumed like misty vapours every lesser emotion, every humane consideration. Some by thought recalling the wearing gross innuendo that he was in love without his knowledge, moved him to laugh outright if strangely, an unpleasant laugh that held as much of pain as of derision. What room in that dark heart of his for love? The heart of a thief and a potential assassin? The heart of the lone wolf? How was he to know he had hardly left his lodgings before their hush was interrupted by the grumble of the house telephone? Intermittently for upward of three minutes that sound persisted. When at length it discontinued the quiet of the untenanted room reigned and disturbed for a brief time only. An odd metallic strider became audible, a succession of scrapings of stealthy accent at the private entrance. Its latch clicked. The door swung back against the wall with a muffled bump. Two pairs of thirty feet padded in the little private hallway. The flash of an electric hand lamp flickered hither and yon like a searching poignard. Picked out of the door to one bedchamber and vanished. There was guarded whispering. Then a thud as one of the intruders gained in the middle of the bedchamber in a bound. An instant later a switch snapped, and the room was flooded with light. Beneath the chandelier stood a man in evening dress, the worst for misadventure, one knee on his trousers cut open, both legs caked with a film of half-dry mud, his linen dinghy with mud stains, his top coat shockingly bedraggled. He was bareheaded, apparently having lost his hat. A black smack crossed one cheek added emphasis to the pallor of newly shaven jowls, and his eyes were blazing. Stole away, he muttered briefly in disgust, then called, Ed. As quietly as a shadow, a second man joined him, greeting him with a, Hush! This gentleman was in far more presentable repair and a more equable frame of mind. There was even a glint of amusement in his hard blue eyes. His countenance had an Irish cast. Hush! The other iterated with contempt. What for? The hound's not here. No, Carl, Ed admitted. But there are others in the house. If it's known to them that Lanyard's out, they may turn in a police alarm. And I, for one, have enough of balls for one night. Carl grunted disdainfully. I told you this would be a waste of time. And I agree with you entirely. But you would come. Lanya's no such fool as to stick around the place he knows I know about. Carl's hand twitched and his features worked nervously. He knows me too well. Knows that if ever I lay hands on him again. His voice was rising to an hysterical pitch when the other checked him with a sibilant hiss. At the same time, his hand darted out and switched off the light. Carl uttered a startled ejaculation. Shh! His companion repeated. In the street, a motor car was rumbling, stationary before the door. Then the remote grinding of the house doorbell was heard. Let's get out of this, suggested the Irishman. It's no good waiting anyway. Hold hard. We won't go till we have a clear field. The Prussian stole out the sitting room and stood listening to the door to the public hallway, his companion standing by with a mutinous air. Oh, come along, he insisted in a stage whisper. Shut up! Listen! Shuffling footfalls traversed the hallway. The front door was opened. The clear voice of an Englishwoman was answered in the slurring patois of a negro. No, he ain't in. The next inquiry was intelligible. The speaker had entered the hallway. Are you sure? Yes, am Somebody done called him up about ten minutes ago. 
and I rung and rung and he don't answer, and I ain't in or don't mean to answer nobody, that's all. I am very anxious about him. Have you a key to his rooms? Yes, um. I got a pass key, but please use it. Take this. Go in and make sure he's out, or if at home that he is all right. Yes, um. Thank you, ma'am. But do as I tell you. I will see that you don't get into trouble. All right, ma'am. The negro chuckled, probably over his chip. You sure was get persuaded in this way. The Irish caught the German's arm. Come out of this, he pleaded. No fair. I'll see it through. That's the broke girl the fool got in with on the boat. She may know something. But leave this to me. You look out for the negro. I'll take care of Miss Cecilia Brooke. Swearing unhappily, the Irishman flattened against the wall to one side of the door. Carl waited behind it as it admitted the whole attendant, who made directly toward the central chandelier. You just wait, Mum, and I'll make a light and... But the girl had impetuously followed him in. The light went up, and Carl put a heavy shoulder against the door, closing it with a slam. The negro turned and stood with gaping mouth and staring eyes, jumped with terror. The girl recognized Carl with a little cry and darted back toward the door. Immediately he caught her in his arms. Her lips opened, but the utterance was stifled. By a handkerchief thrust between them, with a disjective of practice hand, without one word of warning, the Irishman stepped forward and struck the negro brutally in the face. The boy reeled, whimpering. Two more blows delivered with murderous ferocity silenced him altogether. He collapsed like a broken puppet, insensible on the floor, his face a curious ashen colour beneath his glossy skin of brown. End of chapter 19 Recording by April Gonzalez in Cavita, Philippines